Hey, beautiful soul fam. Welcome to a sparkling new episode of Ceremony Circle Podcast. I am your host and shaman and author of the best-selling book, Animal Power, Alison Charles. And today we are diving into a topic that I've definitely had plenty of firsthand experience with and a topic that when provided with solutions, I feel is an incredibly important one for humanity at this time. And that is the anatomy of anxiety, understanding and overcoming the body's fear response. And that is also the title of today's guest, Dr. Ellen Vora's new book. And I'm super excited for you to connect with her as Dr. Vora attended Columbia University for medical school, received her BA in English from Yale University. She's a board certified psychiatrist, acupuncturist, and yoga teacher. And one of my favorite parts of her work is she takes a functional medicine approach to mental health. She considers the whole person and addresses the problem at the root. So key, such a vital part. Rather than just reflexively prescribing medications to suppress symptoms, she gets to the root. So it's just something I'm so passionate about. Other things we dive into are my personal past with anxiety disorders and anxiety attacks, why you might have been feeling waves of depression or anxiety, but there's that part of you that's also pretty clear that it's not quote unquote your energy. What might you be picking up on? We dive into that. We talk about best solutions for when you are triggered, top sneaky ways anxiety comes through and many of these, I would guess you would never guess. They were surprises for me. We also dive into your listener questions every once in a while. Those of you who are a part of the soul fam over on my Instagram at I am Allison Charles. I ask you to share your questions for certain guests, and then you get your answers during the show. We dive into a lot of good ones here. And then we close with an amazing shamanic shaking practice that would be super beneficial to do anytime, but especially when you need to clear off some stress. I really love Dr. Vora because she is not afraid to show and express publicly even her witchy and spiritual sides. She blends it all together. So I have a feeling you're going to resonate with this amazing cauldron that we create here. So without further ado, welcome to the temple of transformation. It is time to cast your stress and anxiety aside with author and Dr. Ellen Vora. Okay, Ellen, here we are. We have you down from New York City, my old stomping grounds. I'm so happy to have you here in Austin. I'm really happy to be here. Thank you. Yes, of course. And I was sharing with you a little bit before we hit record. It was so fun for me to witness the voyage of arriving here today because your publishing publicist emailed me, hey, I've you know, got this great author, this great book and, um, and she's a doctor. And I typically, like I shared with you, I don't normally, my husband, Luke has tons of doctors and scientists. That's not my normal forte for ceremony circle, but there was just something. As soon as I opened that email, I was like, I think I'm supposed to have this woman on. And then I started to do my research and I said, yes, cause I trusted that. And that's really how I do, um, my selection of my guests is just that intuitive nudge. And then when I started to read more about you and went to your Instagram, I was just laughing and chuckling all 
along the way in the weeks leading up to this because I started to get it more and more and more why I wanted to have you on today's show. And so I think I would like to start, and maybe you know some some clear data on this. And so forgive me listeners, because I, I don't have the exact stats, but it's my understanding that especially in the last year or two, the rise, the surging in terms of people experiencing anxiety, depression, suicide rates, I mean, people's mental health and the midst of this great awakening that we're all in, it's taken everyone on a wild, pretty wild ride. Is it not? That's exactly right. I mean, to me, the statistics don't even capture it. You just, we know it. We feel it in ourselves. We see it all around us. This has been an intense ride. And even if you are really connected to guidance, and even if you feel like I'm not worshiping at the altar of fear, I'm trusting this process, even then it's still intense. And we, there's overlap in how we identify certain sensations. Intensity has, you know, it's cousins with something we might call anxiety. Mm. And so even if we're trusting and surrendered and don't feel like anything is inherently wrong right now, we can still feel a little on edge. Right. And so let's like dissect a little bit more into that. <sighs> Part of me just wants to be like, well, well, why is that? Because ex- exactly what you just said has been part of my experience. I could tell as soon as things started to shift at this point, I guess almost exactly two years ago, my intuition sent me straight to my altar and I connected into Great Mother Earth, my heart source. And um, I had a really beautiful conversation with Great Mother Earth. And she was saying to me, <laughs> you knew that you signed up to be here during the Great Awakening. And I was like, oh, but it's this, you know, I just didn't anticipate it looking and expressing like this. And so right out of the gate, I got that information from her and I received that understanding. And my saving grace, which I've shared on this show more than once, has been that line, you know, where the name rock star shaman comes from. It's that vertical line where I'm anchored into great mother earth and, you know, doing all that work connected to my heart, my intuition and connected straight into source. But with all that being said, there's definitely been pockets and waves in the last couple of years where I'm, I've said to Luke in the past year, I've never experienced depression Anxiety, I know, which that was one of the reasons I wanted to have you on because, you know, anxiety and I, we go way back, (laughs) but depression, I started to feel these strange waves that were very unfamiliar. And I'm like, I would say to him, I, I can't put my finger on it exactly. And I don't think that I'm quote unquote depressed, but there's just like this depression energy that I feel. And then anxiety too, especially in the last five months, just feeling waves of it. And I'm wondering, you know, am I just tuning into the collective and just all of this purging and upheaval? And I think it is part collective, but why, what do you think is going on? Because like we're talking about, and especially a lot of the people that listen, they have their daily spiritual practices and they have their rituals and they partake in ceremonies. But I know that I'm not alone and we still get kind of swayed and pulled into these other energetics. Yeah. So let me attempt a three-part answer. Great. So I think that those waves of depression 
within that, you kind of have to discern, is this us resisting reality, resisting the new reality and kind of digging our heels in? And I think that can create a state of suffering in us. I think that there's this other thing, which is that many people like you, me, anybody who might be inclined to listen to this podcast probably has some visceral connection to the suffering of other living beings. And we are going through this collective trauma and so much grief on a mass scale. And I think that we're feeling that, you know, it's not entirely our own. We're just tapped into larger waves of shift and loss. And, you know, even if we don't fully have the same relationship to fear, we're still feeling the suffering of many people who do. Mm. I think the second piece of this, it reminds me of like the Icaros in the Shipibo tradition with ayahuasca, how that kind of vibration is healing, but it's, I find it very uncomfortable. And sometimes a great awakening and a healing comes with like to change the vibration and to get things into alignment what's out of alignment has to be kind of, you know, it has to come back into a position and sometimes that can feel good, but sometimes that can feel like there can even be a sensation of die off. Like I find that I have waves of stuff that was stuck there getting released and that doesn't always feel pleasant. I think that relates to some of the intensity we're feeling right now. And I also just think about salience. An analogy also related to ayahuasca is that feeling of when you're sort of first entering ceremony, it's starting to laugh already. <laughs> uh, yes. And it's like, you know, why does it have to hit us that way? Why nausea? Why the purging, the purging and, and why the feeling of like, Oh God, here mm-hmm. we go. Mm-hmm. But I think it's like, well, you're about to be with God and even more immediately than in your moment to moment prayer and relationship to guidance and to source. Mm -hmm. And so I just feel like you're entering a temple and you need to pass that threshold with some degree of reverence. And so I feel like with the greater awakening, part of what we have to do right now is feel the salience of what's happening and Mm -hmm. enter that not casually. We're not strolling into it. We are passing a threshold into in certain ways, a temple of transformation. Just taking a moment to sit with that. I love that phrase. Maybe that'll be the episode title, the temple of transformation. (laughs) Okay. And so let's take it kind of back to the beginning and get really specific. Um, I would love for you to try to explain or describe what anxiety is, this current, this feeling, what is it? So I laugh at myself with this question, which I get this question a lot. I refuse to have a good answer to it. It's the same when people ask me like what a shaman is and I'm just like, okay, let me tap into the infinite allness of all the information of all that ever existed on the earth and the unseen realms. Let me give you this one sentence. I get it. Yeah. But I'll do a tap dance of yeah. sort of how I think about it and how I approach anxiety. I think it can be so many things and, you know, it, it has overlap with stress and with fear and from being in our amygdala, that part of our brain that's about threat detection and thinking about our survival and safety. It's worry, it's muscular tension. It can be all of these things. Why is it happening? I think it connects to two basic needs that we have. One is vigilance and anticipating potential negative outcomes to keep this physical form safe. And I think anxiety is part of that. And I think another piece of it 
is it's about that idea of listening to what's not right. And I think that there's this third piece, which I tend to think is an error. It's something that we get wrong, which it relates to that kind of feeling of this life. This one life is all there is. It's all we get. And you sure better get your screenings and Mm. like not be caught unawares with something like cancer because then you squandered it and you missed it. Mm. And, you know, and make sure that you don't let anybody that you care about, like get into any kind of trouble ever, because Mm. then that's the worst case scenario is either you dying or you losing somebody you love. And I get it. Like, I feel that too, as a fleshy person in this earth. Like I, you've got a daughter, a husband. Yeah. And I say a prayer and I get in a car, right? Like I am somebody who's certainly very keenly interested in physical safety, Uh but I also think that there is an allusion to the idea that this is it Mm -hmm. and that the end is the end. It's not an easy thing to, like I, you know, when I lost my mom to kind of arrive at any kind of feeling of, does she continue to exist in spirit form? Or is this just and the end, is it senseless? Is it over? And for me, I don't know if I know it or if I've chosen, but I certainly live moment to moment with the worldview that the end is not completely the end, that there's something more than what meets the eye, something beyond our comprehension that's happening here. So anxiety, I don't know. In my training, I was taught that it was like all these different permutations of anxiety, like generalized anxiety disorder and obsessive compulsive disorder, yes. panic. That's literally, I got my pen out, right? Yeah. We're heading in the same direction. I wrote down here this morning, types of anxiety. Cause yeah, then it opens up into the one I want to get into in a moment is performance anxiety. Cause mm. that's the one that I've I'm still feeling little layers of, I'm like, are we at 43 years in or we're, st- we're still working with this thread? But yeah, yeah it's, so yes, then it opens up into all these different forms in which anxiety can express. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the way I was taught was these are the different classifications of anxiety and the idea behind going to all that trouble of being like, well, you meet criteria for panic disorder with agoraphobia is it's kind of there to gatekeep and manage and and to sort of steer treatment to guide management and basically say, if you have this kind of anxiety, maybe the path is cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm. And if you have this kind of anxiety, maybe you should take medication. And if you have something that feels like generalized anxiety disorder, but doesn't fully meet criteria, then conventional psychiatry would say you don't really warrant taking medication. And what does someone do? Cause that just spoke to me a, a little spark turned on with the generalized, what is it called? Generalized anxiety disorder. So I bet, well, I don't want to project this. I would guess that there are people in the last couple of years who maybe never were prone to panic attacks and whatnot. And, and maybe they've noticed a, or a questioning of, do I maybe have that over the last couple of years? And so is that a more mild form? When I suffered from some pretty intense anxiety issues back, like when I was in college and my low twenties, I did have some pretty severe panic attacks and I was prescribed, um, Xanax mm-hmm. and I never really took it until like, there were a couple of times where I could feel an attack coming on. And I, th- I think there were probably a handful of times where I did actually take one of those pills to hopefully, you know, ride that attack wave a little better, but generalized anxiety disorder seems intriguing. I mean, 
you're obviously the doctor and the expert, but energetically what I'm sensing, it obviously feels like more of a lower grade of the experience that you maybe just kind of feel a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's my shamanic definition of generalized anxiety. It's not far from the truth. Okay. Yeah. Like, you know, it can be low grade. It can be more severe, but kind of pervasive mm-hmm. and has a chronicity to it. And the idea there is that, you know, like for example, someone who would say to themselves in the pandemic, like, what do I have anxiety? To me, that question is so interesting. And I think we get it a little bit wrong in how we've been indoctrinated to think about mental health. Mm-hmm. We think of it almost like this gene, this genetic destiny, this thing that's one or zero. You have it or you don't. Mm. And if you have it, it's an identity. It's a label and Mm -hmm. it's a destiny. It's something that lasts forever. And we sort of have been taught to think it's a Xanax or a Lexapro deficiency disorder. And thank goodness we have these meds and now you can take the med and then you can feel better. And I'll say very clearly, nothing against meds. I'm not actually dogmatically against meds. I very rarely prescribe them. It sometimes feels like the right path for where someone's at and what challenges they're up against. But for the most part, I avoid it because many reasons. And, yeah. and one is that I, I first do no harm and I think about side effects and adverse effects. And I think about the difficulty that can happen in trying to get off of medication. And I take it very seriously. I don't want to put somebody on that path. And I also think that it's not always correcting yeah. the true underlying cause of Bingo. the so-called anxiety or depression. Mm. And so in an elegant way, I just always want to absolutely like actually do that investigative work, figure out what's really out of balance. Mm -hmm. What are these symptoms pointing us to look at Mm -hmm. and addressing that at the root rather than just putting a sort of sticker on over the check engine light? Yes. And that was one of the chuckles along the way. Like after I innately said yes to having you on. Then when I read, you know, some of your typical protocols and just the way that you function as a doctor, it really resonated with me because when I think back, you know, to when I was going to doctors to sort this out or to uncover what was going on, I mean, while I have not, you know, had a doctor's appointment with you, I'm pretty clear that my appointment with you would have looked and gone very differently than what I experienced back when I was in college, because I never had any dialogue about, you know, the abusive relationship I was in or the pressures I had as a college athlete or that, you know, all the different things going on that was never talked about. It was just, you're having these anxiety attacks. So here's Xanax and, you know, I don't know whatever else was said, but I really appreciate, and I'm sure it's a testament, at least partly to the fact of your devotion to the spiritual path and the work and your own immersion and ceremonial experiences and learning about yourself and and doing the inward work. Because to me, it's just makes total sense. I, I mean, I can understand that one of the main reasons my body was just going through that, it was trying to get my attention. It was trying to wake me up to the fact that I was dishonoring my body. I was dishonoring myself by being in that relationship. And it was trying to course correct me. You know, our bodies are so intelligent. It's just, I didn't have the tools and I probably just wasn't ready to wake up yet at that time. So I resisted it and resisted it. And so it took on all these different forms, 
But the anxiety was really my friend within my own body trying to inform me of changes I needed to make. Yeah. Isn't it amazing when we change that framing in just that subtle way, which is that it's not us against our bodies, that we're really on the same team working together. Yes. Then that's the central reframe is that the anxiety is not the problem. It is a symptom. It is here to direct our attention and say, something else is the problem. And that really informs Mm. the way I classify anxiety to me. It's not like, is it generalized anxiety or panic disorder? It's false and true anxiety. And false anxiety is really the avoidable anxiety. And that word false is not really meant to invalidate the suffering. The suffering is very real. I've been falsely depressed and that suffering was very real. But it speaks to the underlying cause and it's physiologic. Mm. It's some physical state of imbalance, often something causing a stress response. It can be a blood sugar crash. It can be that we're inflamed or sleep deprived, too much phone, not enough vitamin B12, you name it. And some kind of physical state that got our body out of balance creates a stress response that feels synonymous with anxiety. Mm. And so then here we are Mm. saying like, I am an anxious person, but if we go gluten-free, become less inflamed, heal our gut, keep our blood sugar stable, get slightly better sleep, suddenly we're no longer anxious. And that label or that identity was actually inappropriate. And then that leaves behind over here what I call true anxiety, which is not something that we can medicate away. It's not something that gets corrected if we cut out caffeine. It's something that is kind of an inner compass. It's a true north. And it's our body communicating to us, something does not feel right. And take a look, pay attention. And it can be any number of things. It can be very personal and small. It can be on a very global scale. And it, you know, we can have more than one sources of true anxiety, but it's basically our body asking us to slow down, get quiet and reflect and pay attention to what does not feel right in our lives, our relationships, our work, our community, the world around us, and to take steps accordingly. We don't have to solve anything overnight, but once we're taking steps, Mm -hmm. that feeling of that uncomfortable, anxious feeling, it transmutes a bit into a purposeful feeling. And we feel sort of fueled by it rather than taken down by it. This is helpful. So two things I would like to go into. One, I want to just for a moment track back to that generalized anxiety disorder. What are some daily things that you recommend if someone has been diagnosed or thinks that they might be experiencing this, what can we do to work with that? Yeah. So, so much. And the funny thing is like, as I list the 20 things that we can try to do, somebody who's anxious or feeling overwhelmed in their life, is just like, you know, their eyes are going to roll to the back of their head. They're like, forget it. I give up because it can feel overwhelming and daunting Mm, to do so much. So it's important to sort of see it as more of a buffet and you see what calls to you. You don't have to do all of these things. You have to think about what resonates. What do you think is the right place to start? Mm. That's easy enough mm. and accessible change. So take a deep breath. Yeah. What you're about to be presented with is a cornucopia. <laughs> and within the cornucopia, you can select two or three things that's to exactly start with. Right. And so one really nice place to start that's kind of, it's kind of a pleasant one is improving our sleep quality. Mm. And there's a lot we could say just about sleep. We could talk about sleep alone for the full podcast. Luke will probably do that with you. I'm here for it. <laughs> sleep is my favorite thing to treat because we're so stymied by, you know, this feeling. So many of us feel like I, 
my body just, it's broken. My sleep doesn't work. And I really believe that our bodies know how to sleep. They want to sleep, but there are these subtle aspects of modern life that are disrupting our circadian rhythm mm -hmm. and making it very hard to sleep well. And we can outsmart it. We can get strategic about it. So maybe I cover that with Luke, thinking about light, being really strategic about light exposure. Like reducing the blue light levels exactly. at least a couple of hours before you head to bed. Exactly. It can be as simple as putting on a pair of blue blocking glasses around sunset, wearing it till bedtime. And for many of my patients, that's the most impactful intervention is just to protect their melatonin release in the evening so they get tired at the right time and they sleep deeply. And then a lot of their anxiety abates just with that change alone. Mm -hmm. There's other things we can do to improve sleep, cold bedroom, less caffeine, dosing caffeine earlier in the day, mm -hmm. less alcohol at bedtime, keeping blood sugar stable, which is its own conversation, mm -hmm. magnesium supplementation. And that's sleep. And it kind of feels good to fix that one. It helps right. your anxiety and it just feels good to get good sleep. And so that's one. And the next thing in our cornucopia would be blood sugar is a big one. And so many people are running around on a blood sugar roller coaster where our blood sugar spikes because we live in the United States and our diet is built on a foundation of refined carbohydrates and coffee drinks that are secretly milkshakes and rosé all day. And so we have this blood sugar spike and then insulin chases it, creating a blood sugar crash. And the body's system of checks and balances is to respond to a blood sugar crash by releasing adrenaline mm. and cortisol, our stress hormones. And that's fine. It communicates to the liver to break down our glycogen stores so that we can restore normal blood sugar levels and it saves the day. But it as a sort of collateral damage, we're in a stress response. And so many of us are in an unnecessary stress response, which feels synonymous with anxiety just because our blood sugar crashed. And so the path out of that is just to keep our blood sugar stable. Mm -hmm. And there's a couple ways there you can sort of just make sure that you're actually eating a blood sugar stabilizing diet, more protein, more healthy fats, less sugar and refined carbohydrates. And there are hacks like taking a spoonful of almond butter at regular intervals just to give you like a safety net mm -hmm. of blood sugar so it blunts any crash. And then magnesium is important to consider with false anxiety. Alcohol is a very unfun conversation, but it needs to be had, which is to understand that part of the reason we like alcohol is it washes our brain with a neurotransmitter called GABA and that makes us feel relaxed and at ease and that's lovely but our body is still concerned with survival so it sees that rush of GABA and it thinks we need to restore homeostasis mm. so that we'll properly react to a threat and so it converts the GABA into a different neurotransmitter called glutamate and that is what makes us feel sort of on edge in the middle of the night after mm -hmm. we've had a couple of drinks at dinner. It's an excitatory neurotransmitter. So alcohol contributes to anxiety, both in the short term and in the long term, cumulatively. And so it's not a popular conversation, but for anybody struggling with anxiety, it's understandable we want to reach for alcohol. It feels like an attempt at self-medicating because it gives us that GABA relaxing state but it just exacerbates the problem in the medium and long term. And then I love to address the gut and make sure that people have a healthy digestive tract. Yes. Modern world is a broad assault on our the health of our digestion. And many of us have a pretty compromised gut bacteria. So mm -hmm. just to start to heal that, replete that, keep the gut lining healthy helps with anxiety. 
Yeah, those are helpful. It made me think Luke and I are just completing, you know, the brand Quicksilver. We'd got that black box detox. So yeah, we're finishing that for anyone interested. I think Luke probably has it on his store on his website, which is the lifestylist.com. I don't know if it's slash shop or store or whatever, but you'll find it on there. Yeah, it was really cool to do that. And it also flashed me back to when I was experiencing the panic attacks when I was younger, when my being started to get to more of a place of readiness of like layer one of opening up to more of the truth of what was going on in that relationship and other things within my own self, where I started to intuitively get guided to was um, getting colonics and I started juicing. Um, Kimberly Snyder, shout out to you. I got her glowing green detox book, which um, would make the the smoothie. And I would like almost every single morning, fresh organic produce. I would not, I, the only fruit I would ever put in is a lemon. And perhaps occasionally with, if I did like a carrot juice, I'd mix in an apple, but very low fruit. And I was juicing regularly, drinking these fiber filled smoothies regularly, getting colonics regularly. And when I started to cleanse, detoxify and regulate my gut That was, like I said, layer one of preparing me for layer two of awakening until I had my big shebang divine intervention moment. But a lot of my saving grace in alleviate anxiety back to my gut. The gut, I mean, in addition to the fact that what bacteria we have there impacts how inflamed we are, how we manufacture neurotransmitters, all of that sort of tactical scientific aspects, it's also the ultimate discerner. And mm-hmm. I first learned about this from my friend and colleague, Shauna Souffle, and she's a Chinese medicine practitioner. She talked about how the gut, it's what's deciding. What do we absorb? What's our nourishment? What serves us? And what's waste? What do we let go of? Mm-hmm. And our gut is really carrying out that function all the time. And it's here to us to, to discern. And I think it really relates to the way I make sense of this is Marshall Rosenberg's work around nonviolent communication and our true yes and our true no, mm. and how to go through our lives knowing like, this is my true yes. I say yes to this. And this is my true no. And even though people might protest and it's not comfortable to disappoint people or to say no, I have to honor this boundary and say no. And I think our gut leads the way in doing this. Yeah, I was doing, you know, close the eyes, head nod, getting the divine tingles. Yeah, I don't live by, you know, chart ratings and things like that. I just, I don't know. At this point, I know who I am and I trust who I am and I know how I move about the world. But anytime any of my friends who are like, renowned astrologers or human design people, whenever they start to track, you know, my charts and information, the thing that always surfaces, no matter what, you know, culture we're going into to provide these readings, it's always the same. Like I, how psychic I am, how intuitive I am and human design, I'm like a sacral generator with sacred, it's like all sacral, sacral, like gut response, gut knowing. I mean, it's just everywhere in all of my charts. So yeah, I love that we got into all of that. Hey, 
Hey, it's time for today's microdosing moment where I share about a product that's truly changed my life. Today, it's all about Lotus Way sacred flower elixirs and essences. I love the founder. She's a master flower alchemist, scours the planet for us to be able to use the world's most powerful healing flowers, blended into delicious tinctures, aura mist, bath salts, and so much more. Today, I wanna to share my new favorite. It's called Sacred Body. It's an elixir and a facial mist. And it has nine different flower remedies for rapid detox, self-healing, including yarrow for vitality, pink lotus for wisdom, crown flower to remove toxins, and so much more. When I use the Sacred Body Elixir and put the dropper full underneath my tongue, and also when I use the Sacred Body Facial Mist, I truly feel cleared of any negative energies. I feel revitalized, nourished, uplifted. I feel like I've got new healthy boundaries all around me. I truly, truly believe in Lotus Way. So when you go to their website, that's lotusway.com, you can use code MYSTIC at checkout. That is all capital letters, M-Y-S-T-I-C, code MYSTIC at checkout, and you will get yourself a Soul Fam discount. Much love, guys. Okay, so let me tune in here. There's a lot just for, you know, pardon me, everyone and the soul fam listening for a moment. This might be a little bit of a, a selfish dive, but I would like to cover performance anxiety just a little bit if it just helps me get a little bit more understanding. So yeah, I'm just still unraveling. Thank God it's not pervasive anymore. It's not debilitating. But as a young girl at two and a half, my dad was my coach. I started, you know, I was a distance runner starting at that young age, you know, a lot of pressure. I was, I did win a couple of national championships. I was a college athlete at, at a division one school and all of this stuff. And, you know, starting that young and having that amount of pressure to be the best at all levels at that young of an age, it just, I really feel on a cellular level, the pressure and yeah, this performance anxiety energetics just got really ingrained. And so even now, so many years, I mean, that feels like not even this lifetime, that athlete, Allison, it's very bizarre. So it's been a long time, but even now so deep on the shamanic path, when I give talks or when I'm about to quote unquote perform, you know, even though I don't view it as that anymore, but when I'm out in front of the public and doing my work, it's like, I'll still feel that kind of surging up or that old thing that just starts to kick in. And like I said, I've done a lot of work around it. And even just a ceremony a couple of weeks ago, one of my intentions, one of my two intentions going into that ceremony was just to, with honor, you know, and with love, just give that energetic system permission to know that I'm going to be safe and I'm going to thrive without you. Thank you for all you provided. You helped me accomplish a lot of things, but I'm ready for a new way and all those conversations. So I don't know if anything's percolating up within you. I don't even know what my question is, but maybe it's around, I don't know, the scenario I just described when You've put in tons of work, but you can just still feel these little fragments and threads. Like, is it, should we have an intention to officially clear it? Because it does get a little annoying. You know, I'm this, you know, very aligned 
divinely powerful being. And yet I still feel these little like, like, aren't you going to worry about this? And what if this? And I'm just like, we're good. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Yeah. What do I do at this point? Here's what percolates for me about that. One thing is that, so I'm going to go in like a couple weird directions. Great. One is like very superficial understanding, which is that it is normal to have a, a jolt of cortisol when you're about to go on stage or, or public speak or perform or do a podcast, anything where it's really our, our body's serving us and saying, let's have this more, mm. you know, you stress or good stress reaction so that we are dilating certain blood vessels and places that help us think more clearly and stay focused and sort of energized and engaged. Okay. So it's not all bad. But we have all these old associations with it. And yes. so we can kind of interpret that feeling as, oh, this reminds me of like the cross country meets and oh, that was a lot of bad feelings. The old associations, here's where I'm going to go with this. I think at the heart of it is that parenting is really hard. And I think that so much of how we kind of leave our children with wounds and how we've been wounded by our parents relates back to the fact that parenting is nearly impossible. And if we think about what our parents did, like if your dad was like, you know, push harder, run faster, like it probably came from some combination of a place of love and a place of maybe living vicariously through you. And so, you know, that's his own wounds from his own childhood, totally. so on and so forth. And, and I love my dad. Yes. We say this with love. It's an attempt to understand what makes us who we are mm-hmm. and, and how we have our nooks and crannies. And I think that when, like I, I, some, a wound that I come up against a lot in my practice is patients who are sort of conditioned to feel like they're somehow inherently bad mm-hmm. they're not like I did a bad thing, but like I am bad. And that shame rather than guilt idea. And I think about how like I'm trying to get my daughter out of the house in the morning to go to school and, you know, she doesn't want to wear shoes or a jacket or clothes at all. And it's like, (laughs) here we are. It's such an impasse. And it's like, you got to go to school. I got to go to work. Like we somehow need to get forward. But I've gotten all the memos and read all the books. So I'm not going to pull out that sort of authoritarian parenting of like, you're bad, be a good girl and do this sort of all that weighty, making her feel like somehow her worthiness of love Mm -hmm. um, is tied up in whether or not she does what I'm asking her to do. And here we are and we're all really late to school and work. But I think about parents who didn't get that memo and they understood that it's an effective tactic to get your life moving is to use all that kind of weird conditioning of like, be a good girl and do what mommy says. And so we learned like, if I please the people around me, I am good. And then they love me. I'm worthy of love. And all these other experiences we have in childhood where we intuit, like, here's what makes the people around me love me. Here's what makes me happy, Mm -hmm. makes them happy. And it's not always being true to ourselves. And so I think that performance anxiety can sometimes be wrapped up in all those weights and layers that were put on you of like, this is important. How you perform in this right now is high stakes. It matters. And it was always an illusion, right? Like we are just flawed, good people out here in the world doing our best. Fumbling along the best Fumbling we can. Along. Sometimes <laughs> yeah. it's going to go okay. Sometimes it's going to be divine. And sometimes it's It's a little uglier. It can be uglier. And it's all part of the messiness of existence. Mm -hmm. It's all okay. And we are still inherently worthy of love. 
we are inherently divine regardless of how something goes. But we didn't get that messaging in childhood Mm -hmm. because your dad had these things that was wrapped up in his life of like, this does matter. This really feels to him like it matters. And that's from his own conditioning and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. And so what we really have to get back to is a new mantra for when we perform, which is a shrug. It's a kind of like, all I can do is do my best and that's enough. I am enough. Mm -hmm. And sometimes our best is going to be good enough. And sometimes our best is going to be really good fodder for learning how we can do slightly better next time. Mm -hmm. But it is all okay. And Mm -hmm. all we can ever do is do our best. And I want to do one asterisk on that word best because anxious folks, we perfectionists, recovering people pleasers, when we hear do our best, it spends our mind spinning in a direction of my best. Oh, I know what that is. Okay. I'm going to give my 150% effort, bend myself into a pretzel, airtight, absolute, remove all possibility of failure best. And that's not at all what I mean by saying do our best. To me, do your best means 80, 85% effort. It's something that you can do while staying in balance. Something you can feel proud of, but you don't bend yourself out of shape. You can do it sustainably. And that's your reasonable best. And that's what I think we want to be asking of ourselves. Mm. That's nice. Yeah, that resonates. Yeah, it took me back to a flash vision of me running and just, I mean, it was for yeah, two and a half through my twenties, once my body started to break down at the end of college, but all of those years for 20 plus years, it was full on to the maximus of the maximus at all costs, at all times, every day, sometimes twice a day. Cause you know, as distance runners, sometimes you practice and train twice a day. And so that, that system is definitely what led me once my body started to break down. And now I really haven't been able to run for another 20 years, but I even beyond running, even being out of the equation, I, and Luke knows this, if he was here, he'd be laughing. I'm gotten better now. Now the pendulum's getting a little bit more in a balance, but for 15 plus years, if anybody tried to tell me what to do with my body, you would be met with a collie, venomous, fiery horse because it's like, I will never, you know, and God bless, I wouldn't change anything of my journey. I learned so much and like a lot of my ambition and work ethic and all that stuff. I wouldn't change it, but it was, yeah, it was just so intense. So I love that you define the best as like that 85% because I, I, that other additional percentage feels like the zone I didn't afford myself of. So can I run with that a tiny bit? Yeah, I think that you know, if you were doing double workouts for many years, you kind of need double rests for many years after that. Like yes. there needs to be a rebalancing. But I think that it's interesting that you'll bristle if someone's like, I'm telling you what to do. And we're in a moment where, you know, and I'm part of this wellness industry where that's what it is. It's like, oh, come into my office and I will tell you what to do to feel better. Right. And I think that the real heart of that problem is that we were conditioned throughout our lives to not know our intuition and to not have a pathway for listening to our bodies. And I think it's the only reason I have a job is that we, so many of us were cut off from knowing what we need. And even on a broader cultural level, 
we're cut off from traditional food, from a sort of traditional diets and an understanding of balance and nourishment. And so we're all kind of groping in the dark in modern America Mm -hmm. and really disconnected from a sense of here's what my body needs. I know what I need. And I think in certain ways you're just, you know, there's a trauma around people telling you what to do with your body, but you're also, you've always, you've known for a long time, like actually I know what I need and I don't really need a lot of advice. And I think right now we have such an industry of people seeking advice, partly because we're sick. We feel really out of balance. We're in a world that poisons us around every corner and we don't have a lifelong practice of tuning in and knowing what our bodies need. So an overarching theme of all of this is the best path out of anxiety is to be able to reconnect with your body and to Mm -hmm. reconnect with your intuition. Mm -hmm. And that's really the only compass that you truly need. Oh, got to get the... Oh, I love that so much. Yes. It brings to mind how sometimes people, and for the most part, you know, the community on social media, like people are very kind and honoring of who I am, my work, they can feel my intention and purity and all that and all of that. But, you know, occasionally you'll get the uh, other folks. And I remember somebody commented or DM'd like, I don't remember verbatim, but it was something around, oh, I think it was promoting Animal Power book, which is, you know, one of my greatest honors of any lifetime is to co-create that book with the power animals and birth it out. And I know the power of it and it's a living medicine book. It's incredible. And they're like, oh, you know, is this your solution to, you know, what's going on in the world is promoting your animal book and, or something like that. And then other comments, you know, around just whatever infographics on shamanism or shamanic practices. It's like, is this quote unquote, all you're going to do for what's going on in the state of the world? And I'm like, in fact, yes, because at the end of the day, from my perspective, returning people to these teachings and these practices is in fact the most powerful thing any of us can be doing is reuniting with our own soul, getting in touch with our own intuition and hearing those voices and that information and moving from that place and being embodied from that place is in fact the most powerful thing I can offer. So yes, I will continue to talk about animal power book. And yes, I will continue to share shamanic practices that help you reunite with your soul. Indeed, I will carry on. Thank you. And I will continue. (laughs) Thank you for coming to my TED talk. Yeah. yeah. I think it relates to the imbalance that we have in our world between yin and yang, sort of masculine and feminine aspects. And there is no one that's better than the other. They exist in balance for a reason. We truly need both. But for a while now, we've lived in a world that celebrates and worships this more yang or masculine aspect, productivity, action, doing, objectivity, sun energy. And we devalue the yin feminine aspect, the resting, receptive, non-doing, intuitive. And I think that, you know, I know for myself for many decades, I had to, um, I really had almost decided I'm going to suppress that more feminine aspect of myself. Mm -hmm. I sort of read the room and I was like, okay, I get what's celebrated. And so I silenced the irrational parts of myself, intuition. And I was objective. I was Mrs. Numbers. I was taking BC calculus and I was like in the boys club and being rational and playing along. And it took me until I think I was in my Mm thirties in Bali surrounded by witches and chanting and 
all of that energy when I was like, wait a second, this has been an act. This is not who I am. And I don't need to devalue this other part of myself. It's actually a beautiful, powerful part of Mm -hmm. myself. And that's where I reconnected with my intuition. And I think that we, you know, we live in this world that kind of teaches us to silence that listening and, and it's for sure. like, if this is your solution, what, you know, it's like, it's, that's soft science. That's not You're real. You're not out picketing. And we, we sure we need the sort of more tactical, rational objective. We need all that too, but we need both. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing inherently <laughs> less than about bringing something that's just a softer, more intuitive thing. And I even think that if you don't have a natural connection to your intuition, I think it's harder to see the value of it. It's harder to trust that. Absolutely. Yeah. So I send love to all of you who sent in those remarks. <laughs> love and blessings always. So now I love this part. You obviously you know, are deeply studied and educated. You received your... So you're an MD. You received your BA from Yale University You attended Columbia University Medical School. You're a board-certified psychiatrist, medical acupuncturist, and yoga teacher. You take a functional medicine approach to mental health and all of these things. But I have to admit, what really tickled my fancy, I mean, that's great, and kudos, because that sounds like a lot of really hard work. But I got most excited when I went to your Instagram and you're like, yeah, so I studied at all these renowned institutes, but I'm really just a witch. I was like, yes. (laughs) And that wasn't maybe verbatim what you said, but I just love that you're willing with all of your diplomas and, and all of these things that you're still a doctor who does really great reels on Instagram and you aren't afraid to share openly, you know, that you're super spiritual and ceremonial and that you also have these witchy aspects of you. And I was curious if, were you leery at being so open about that side of you or maybe I should have been more (laughs) really? (laughs) I don't know. I mean, it's fine. I, it's, I think that basically I want the right people to find their way to the work that I do and my book. And so if someone is really going to be put off from that, they're probably not going to like everything else I have to offer. Mm, So it's a reasonable filter. But I think that, yeah, I don't really make any apology about the fact that I've learned that this is how I help my patients. When I'm sitting face to face with a patient, yes, my, um, my medical brain is working and my Ayurvedic brain and my Chinese medicine brain and my yoga philosophy brain, it's all there. Nutrition, functional medicine, it's all thinking about how is this person out of balance? How can we identify the root cause of their suffering? How can we get it back into balance? I'm thinking in that way, but I always feel like I'm interacting with a patient on this entirely other valence at the same time Mm -hmm. and it's energy work. And I'm feeling, I'm sensing, I'm observing, I'm feeling in my own body, you know, how my nervous system interacts with the energy field we create together. And that is equally important, if not more powerful data. And I find that when I've actually helped my patients experience a meaningful transformation and get closer to a state of balance and thriving, it's usually come from that data. Mm. And, you know, the functional medicine stuff is important. I don't discount that. I love that. I think this way about health, but I don't ever want to ignore all of these other ways of understanding how we're, you know, I I think there's even a a magic to why a certain patient and me like find each other Mm -hmm. and why we're working together. I think that there's a purpose to that. And so I'm very much listening to all that other information and working with it. Right. And just like how, you know, I was sharing how I, I got the yes 
to interview you and then understood as it went on. And then when you show up today, you're like, oh, we actually have a lot of community and friends in common. You know, do you know so-and-so? And these are people that I know from shamanic communities or spiritual gatherings that I was a part of when I lived in New York City and also now here. And I thought, huh, you know, it it is really cool, just the weavings. And you don't need to share anything you're uncomfortable with or don't want to, but along your way on the spiritual path, are there certain practices or was there a certain ceremony that just really, you know, provided an incredible life-changing light bulb moment for you? Or are there daily practices that you do like chanting or whatever the case might be that has really helped you hone into that place that you just described when you're sitting with the patient and you're able to access those other intuitive zones within you? What have you leaned into along the way? Yeah. I mean, I'm guessing what you're hinting at is psychedelics <laughs> and entheogens. Anything because, you know, my, my audience knows I was a shaman for many years before I ever sat in any plant medicine ceremony. I didn't know if I ever would. So uh, they know I'm equal parts. Like you can awaken your spiritual powers and gifts without doing that. And they can also really be supportive. So exactly my experience. Yeah. I'm certainly out of the closet. And the fact that I work with these medicines now, I refer my patients for work with these medicines. I feel like these medicines, like the plants recruited me to be part of their army. Yeah. We're basically like, well, we need you over here doing this kind of work. Do you accept this mission? I said happily, but long before I had ever touched anything psychedelic was when I had my awakening. And I would say it, it was brewing for a while, just when I found yoga, which was kind of just a lifeline for me to get through med school and residency. So I was really quite miserable and really unwell and I would see doctors and they would say, oh, you should take Prozac or, oh, you should go back on the pill or, oh, you should take this weird new experimental IBS medicine and nothing was helpful. And most of it, I never took the first pill, but Mm -hmm. yoga outclassed all of that. And it helped me achieve some connection to a state of equanimity. I could breathe through challenge. I could maintain a state of like, this is going to be okay, even when things were hard. And I learned to slow down my breath. I just learned to connect to my breath and to, so, so much about yoga really helped me get there. But yoga brought me to Bali, which is such an eat, pray, love cliche, but it's my truth. It's part of my truth as well. Bali, yeah, game changer for me too. And and I think that there was this one particular day when I was in Bali, I was doing a yoga teacher training and we were sitting around, we had been going through a fast, we were chanting in Sanskrit and this earthquake happened. And what I felt that I knew to be true was that we contributed to that on a vibrational level with our chanting. And I felt this power of our collective intention and not like we were trying to cause an earthquake, but it just felt like we were moving the earth with really powerful focus and moving the vibration in the room. And who knows, but that clicked it in for me. And I I started to recognize like energy and power and listening. And and that's really when it changed. And so it was long before I'd ever had a first experience with a psychedelic. I started to just really want to go deeper and deeper into an energetic understanding of the human experience, the world around me. Mm -hmm. So at this point, I do lean into these medicines. I've found them to be incredibly helpful, but I I love it all. Like I love meditation and I love breath work and I love music and dancing. Dancing is really my favorite spiritual practice. And I also love ayahuasca. 
so mm. nice. Um, just curious, and and then we'll kind of get to the final phase here of our, our journey together. But was Grandmother Ayahuasca, was she the first spirit of the plant that called to you, or did you sit with another one before her? First psilocybin. Okay. Yeah. And then much later on, ayahuasca. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's even so beautiful, just that part of it alone, when the the spirit begins to enter into your field and commune with you and send the invitation and to yeah be present to the sensations within our aura or within our body when those invitations come in. And uh, yeah, I just, I love that communing and connection that happens far before you actually even sit in the ceremony. You know, the work begins then because it's ultimately our choice. Are we going to answer the call or not? So then like whatever steps we take to answer or not answer the call, then sets in the next phase of, you know, does the call get louder? You know, it's just, it's all really beautiful and fascinating to me. And so, yeah, just sending love and honor and reverence to all the beautiful spirits of the plant friends we have out there, the allies and mm. to all, thank you to all, cause you all are doing endless work for all of us on our behalf mm. and to those who have specifically made their way to me, just taking a moment now to thank you for, oh yeah, I feel it all the deep insights and guidance and love and gratitude brought into my life. Thank you so much. Before we get to the closing ceremony, there were quite a few things specifically from your book. I love that we kind of, you know, just, organically started with that, the false anxiety, because that was one thing I really took away. I love your book, by the way, it's really great. So helpful. And also you just like the whole conversation, you do such a great job of weaving the mystical with the medical. And I was astounded at how many things can be making you feel anxiety that you just would never guess. There was a lot in there where I thought, oh, I didn't know. Cause I've been suffering a lot from TMJ. Mm. And then I never thought about the correlation of like more screen time and just like the positioning of my head that might be causing, cause I've also been having for months, this sharp shooting pain up into like the axis, mm. like the base of my um, brain and those little alien portals, I call them those uh -huh. alien pockets. And I just, I started to connect more dots. I'm like, Oh, is the more uh, positioning of the phone when there's more screen time than creating a not good position of my neck, which is then exacerbating the TMJ, which is then creating an anxiety loop in my body. And I don't really have anxiety. It's just because I'm on my phone more. I was really intrigued. So I don't know if you want to talk about the TMJ part or maybe the, the power of the sun and all the vitamin D thing, or maybe a little bit on both. But again, just, I think, yeah, illuminating and expanding the soul fam listening into these other possible ways that we might have never have guessed that could be contributing to feelings of anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. Let's touch on both. I'll okay. try to be concise. Okay. So I think a big key takeaway is to understand that there are a lot of bi-directional communications happening in the body, two-way streets. And many of my patients with anxiety have TMJ or sort of bruxism, you know, 
tension in their jaw, grinding teeth at night. And we think about it as, well, it's the anxiety causing the TMJ. And yes, I'll acknowledge that's absolutely part of the puzzle, but sometimes there are just aspects of our life that can get us locked into a kind of pathologic holding pattern Mm. with our fascia, with certain muscles. And then that is sending communication back to the brain about the state of affairs in the body. Mm -hmm. And when you look at a dog preparing for a fight, they bare their jowls, they, you know, they growl and they kind of create this tense jaw position in their face. And it's a part of our stress response. The jaw is keenly innervated by sympathetic neurons. It's related to how we respond to a stressor Hmm. because when we can bare our teeth in that way and tense our jaw, it demonstrates, it makes it visible to somebody else. We're ready to fight. And So we want to be aware that when our jaw is stuck in that position, it's also transmitting messages up to our brain that we're in a stressful situation. And sometimes we got to that jaw tension from stress, but sometimes we got to that jaw tension from alignment, from how we sit in our chairs, how we look at our phones, how we look at our computer screens, how we sleep. And it's in certain ways an easier entry point to do a little work with a functional manual therapist, to make sure our workstation is ergonomic, to take breaks, to not look down and kind of crimp our neck, Mm -hmm. to look at our phones all the time. Because when we're holding ourselves out of alignment and it impacts our quality of our breath, it impacts how cerebral spinal fluid is flowing, it impacts all of these different fascial Mm. relationships and how the joints in our bodies sit. It's so fascinating. I went a couple of weeks ago and got that f- for the first time, that massage where the person goes in your mouth. Yeah. I forget the name of it. Mm-hmm. And um, it was, it was really interesting. I'll go back again, but yeah, she did other massaging on my neck and things and face. She's also an esthetician, but then she put her gloves on and yeah, went in and was like, you know, it, it was good pain, but like getting in and she said, especially on the left side, that fascia is so bound and tight. It feels like bone. Mm. And, and I wasn't surprised to hear that. So I feel really called to continue on this quest to do that work and to try to get um, to the root of what needs to happen to allow the back end of my jaw to, to soften and just open up again, because I can just tell it's creating a lot of things that I don't want. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So and then sunshine. Yeah, sunshine, power of the sun. So I do think that sunshine is a major thing that we're getting wrong culturally. And like so many things that we get wrong, it's complex. That's why it's hard to get it right. There's a lot of gray area to it. But basically our DNA, our bodies are always trying to balance these two competing priorities. One is all the benefits from the sun, which include, but are not limited to vitamin D synthesis. And that's competing with the priority, which is avoiding skin cancer. So this is actually a highly conserved area of the genome. It's very quick to evolve if populations migrate, you know, say from the equator to a more Northern latitude where they're not going to have as much ubiquitous sunshine. Things change very quickly in terms of where the melanin sits in our cells. The further out the melanin sits, the more melanated our skin appears and the more protected we are from skin cancer, but the harder it is to manufacture vitamin D among Mm. other things in response to the sun. And then of course, vice versa. And so what I think we're getting wrong is we have this one size fits all understanding of sun. We just say like the harmful rays of the sun and we slap 
sunblock on all over. We try to avoid the sun. And while I think if you are from, you know, descendant from Ireland and you have very fair skin and the family history of skin cancer and you're living in Brazil on the equator, you should absolutely be careful about the sun. And that's a, a scenario where it's a mismatch and you're more at risk of skin cancer than of um, vitamin D deficiency, for example. But I think many of us or in a little bit of a different scenario. If you're African-American and living in Chicago, you know, you're descended from somebody who is living perhaps closer to the equator. The melanin is sitting very close to the edge of the cell, very protective in terms mm. of skin cancer, but also blocking a lot of the body's ability to manufacture vitamin D in response to the sun. So then it might not only be safe to get more sun, but necessary. And a lot of folks would say, you know, well, then let's just supplement with vitamin D and we don't even need to play this Russian relay with the sun. But I think that it's not just vitamin D. And I don't think synthetic really takes the place of what we're doing in response to our body being in interaction with the sun. I think that there's more to it. I think it does play a role in coordinating our circadian rhythm to make sure that we're energized during the day and tired at night and sleeping deeply and restoring at night. I think it gives us energy. I think it relaxes our blood vessels, which yeah. helps with hypertension or high blood pressure. It, it impacts our mood. So I think that we just have to figure out what's the safe way to be in dynamic and get more sun. And in an interesting, ironic twist, when we avoid the sun so religiously, and then one day we happen to be on vacation or at a parade and we forgot to bring sunblock, then we're really pale and suddenly we get a sunburn. And a sunburn is really where the real risk happens mm. with skin cancer. Whereas a little low-grade sun exposure on a consistent basis is not really increasing the risk of skin cancer as anywhere near as much as a burn would, but it's actually kind of protective of a later burn because it's giving us that baseline of melanin in our skin. So I think that we want to be thinking about sun as a little bit every day is probably a more protective strategy and certainly helpful for our mood, our sleep quality, our immune function, and our overall well-being. Yes, I totally agree. And if you go back and look into a lot of the most ancient cultures on our planet, you know, they, they worship the sun yeah. and sun gazers. And there's, you know, certain ways that you should properly do sun gazing um, because you don't want to do that practice after a certain time and mm. hurt your eyeballs. So, you know, if you're resonating with what I'm saying, like do your homework first and make sure you do it properly. But just even on that spiritual level too, you know, the ancient power and the transmissions and the solar flares and the codes and just all the things that the sun provides um, to get us into alignment with our grandest divine power it's so valuable. There's a reason those ancient spiritual civilizations worshiped it, you know? Yeah. So I'm glad that you are helping guide people back into getting more doses in a healthy way. Okay. So I had, a, of course, a million more questions that we didn't get to. So perhaps down the road, I can just have you back on, but I am excited for this closing ceremonial practice because we have not done anything like this on ceremony circle yet. And so before you start, I guess there are some things you'll need to tell them to do because there will be some movement involved. So if you're driving, you'll have to pause and do this later or pull your car off. If you're near a park or a beach and just crank it up and you can do it with this that way, but you will be standing up and moving, right? That's right. Yeah. Okay. 
so yeah, this will just be a brief practice that Ellen will lead and I will be holding space and doing some rattling in and I will let her take it from here. Okay. Well, this is what I call shake it out. And it's something I learned when I studied integrative medicine at the University of Arizona. And basically the idea is you have some kind of shamanic drum beat going and you're going to go ahead and stand up. And the reason we're doing this is that I find that it's very energetically clearing and it helps do something called complete the stress cycle, which is something we're really missing these days. We have no shortage of stress, but we don't always bring our stress to a place of completion. The way animals will shake after an altercation or after a near-death experience, we don't shake in modern life because it would look weird. And so a little bit of shaking every day can really help us reset. It's like a control-alt-delete on the nervous system. So what you're going to do is go ahead and come to a comfortable standing position with your feet maybe a little wider than hip distance. Let your knees bend. Let your body even kind of fall loosely, almost like a ragdoll position. And you can close your eyes. And then when we start to shake the rattles, all you're going to do is allow yourself to move, shake, sway in whatever way feels good. It's really whatever your body feels like doing. Not what you think is the right idea or what looks normal or what would be cool. It's what your body's asking for. And you can let it start a little chill and let it increase and get a little weirder as we go. And we'll just do it for about two minutes and then I'll bring us to a close. So with that, we'll begin. And you can start to allow your shaking to slow down a bit. And as you're ready, arriving back at a place of stillness and keeping your eyes closed, just arrive and simply notice. Simply notice, how does your energy feel? 
the quality of your breath. Notice if anything bubbled up. That practice can sometimes excavate old memories, sensations, and just gently hold that in your awareness. Stay with it and be curious about it. And whenever you're ready, you can give your body whatever it needs, if that's a stretch or a yawn. And you can slowly allow your eyes to softly blink open. And coming back to this moment. Oh, it was great to rattle with you. It's nice. Can't wait to uh, replay that myself and just do it at home, you know, because I definitely, it's one of my saving graces too, is just, yeah, playing my shamanic instruments or putting shamanic songs on and just letting my being move how it wants to. It's so cathartic Uh, and a journey of itself. Like you said, at the end, you know, things might've surfaced and yeah, a lot of information can come from practices like that. So thank you. And everyone knows who listens that I include all the guests, you know, links and information and how to get the anatomy of anxiety, your book that's newly released. And I'll put all of that in the show notes and on the Instagram posts. But I also like for you to share um, with them now the best places that they can find you and how to connect. Yeah. So you can buy my book, The Anatomy of Anxiety, wherever you like to buy books. And my website is ellenfora.com. And I'm at Ellen Vora, MD, on the various social media platforms. So good. Yeah. And she's really good at reels. I was impressed. I was like, my team has been, and I'm listening and I'm doing it. I've just, you know, doing video content. Social media is a whole other full-time job. Mm-hmm. And you want to weave video into it. It's a whole other full-time, full-time job. And they want me to do more reels. And when I went to your page, I was like, oh, you do them really well. So good job. Oh, I'm definitely an amateur, but <laughs> they're fun. Well, thank you so much. This was such a nourishing and supportive conversation for me personally. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure it was for everyone who sat and co-created with us today. So I really appreciate your time. I'm so glad you're able to come to Texas to grace myself and Luke with your presence so that we can chat with you and learn more. And I'm so grateful that I have this book that I can reference and I'm going to continue to do my own explorations and investigations. And maybe if I have a question along the way, I can text you. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I want to get to the bottom of this TMJ. So thank you for sharing all your wisdom and time today. Allison, thank you so much for having me and for this offering, this gift, this podcast. It's really magical. Mm, thank you so much for feeling it. And yeah. Thank you for being so honoring and reverent of my work and and this offering. Yes, it's held in a very sacred container. So I'm glad you felt it. And I have to say, other than Luke, I think you're the only other person I've ever let rattle that rattle. Thank you for this honor. Thank you, Rattle. Thank you, Allison. (laughs) Thank you, Rattle. All right, Soul Fam, Mm. thank you for co-creating and weaving with us today. And we will sit with you again next time. Woo! What a beautiful, powerful voyage that was. It truly brings me so much joy and activates and lights me up to be able to sit with these incredible teachers, leaders, and masters from all over the world. 
So to learn more about them, just head to my website where all of the show notes and their details are listed. That's alisoncharles.com, A-L-Y-S-O-N-C-H-A-R-L-E-S.com. And remember, what makes Ceremony Circle Podcast so unique is that at the end of every single episode, you're able to immerse in a potent guided ritual practice or ceremony for your empowerment. So please feel free to make note of the practices that you really resonate with, the ones that really light up your soul and come back to those episodes anytime, any day. You can use them as your daily practices. And I recommend starting your day with one of them at your altar space. Ah, it's been an honor voyaging with you today, and I would so truly appreciate if you'd open your heart to take a quick few seconds to drop a review on Apple, sharing what you love most or appreciate most about Ceremony Circle Podcast. Receiving those reviews is so helpful and allows us to continue to share this valuable content. And don't forget, if you haven't already gotten your copy of my new best-selling book, Animal Power, you can do so anywhere books are sold, or I most recommend going to my website. Again, that's alisoncharles.com backslash animal power, because when you purchase for you and your friends there, you get a free video guided shamanic journey to meet your current power animal that I facilitate. Animal Power Book is a modern day compendium featuring 100 different power animals, what each animal represents, their wisdom messages for you, guided practices, and stories from all over the world. I personally put the book up to my heart each morning at my altar, and I ask which animal most wants to work with me that day. And then I simply close my eyes and flip the book open to the page I'm guided. And let me tell you, I have been deeply moved to tears on many occasions, and I can't wait for you to experience it as well. I worked on this book for many, many years, and it's now my greatest honor to have it available for you. So anytime animals reveal themselves for you, you can just head to Animal Power Book and see what that animal is trying to get your attention for. All right, Soul Fam, let's unite again in our next episode coming out next week so we can sit together and continue to activate greater consciousness energies for everyone. Much love. This podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only, and my intention is not to provide medical advice or diagnosis. You should always consult a health professional before making drastic changes to your diet or lifestyle.